All right, all right. Thank you so much, buddy, for sticking on for that. <laughs> I like that's 30 seconds of my hard work uh, making that video. Um, so, Corey, let's start off, man. Uh, for everyone who doesn't know you, can you take a few minutes, man? Just I know you're a pretty humble guy, but can you just take a few minutes, brag on yourself, tell us who you are, what you're doing, and why you have a half a million followers on LinkedIn? Sure. Well, thank you. First of all, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, and I want to thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Um, Kevin and I are both from Chicago, but I also have dual residency now in Brazil, so I'm here in sunny Rio de Janeiro, although it's about uh, 10 something at, at, at night, so the sun the sun's departed until the morning. Um, but my name is Corey Moorfield. I spend the majority of my adulthood working in restaurants as a bartender and waiter. Uh, and about seven years ago, I started my first technology company um, because I'm crazy. Learned how to do it by watching YouTube, reading the Lean Startup and Traction. Uh, that co- company we bootstrapped to market. Ultimately, we raised about $850,000 for that company, scaled it up to some national accounts. I departed and you know, took an exit from that company a few years ago and really doubled down on what got me there, which was LinkedIn. So uh, I learned the algorithm, learned the psychology, um, made the right impressions with some of the key players there, including the co-founder of the platform. Um, And that's kind of, you know, as they say in that regard, the rest is history, right? Um, I'm getting millions of impressions weekly there. It's converted into seven-figure revenues. And so that's, that's a little bit about kind of where I got my start from. But these days I'm doing a few things, right? So um, I stepped down as managing director, co-managing director at Founder Institute for the Midwest in the U.S., but I'm still an entrepreneur in residence. So we've, we've helped launch over 100 companies through that program since I've wow. been there. I'm the co-founder of a launch pad called, uh, called D-Carbon, D-C-R-B-N. We're the first carbon neutral Web3 launch pad. So we have 15 companies that we're incubating, helping them raise capital, help them get wow. some of their first key clients. Uh, I'm also co-founder of a company called Coaching to Web3. We're literally building coaching on the blockchain using smart contracts. We're helping coaches streamline their entire coaching product um, so that these NFTs unlock things at the right time and then their clients can resell them on the public market to help recoup some of all of, or in some cases, even more than their investment in themselves. So. We look at that as a way to really revolutionize the coaching space. I'm also doing some stuff with housing and medicine uh, throughout the continent of India and throughout or throughout the continent of Africa and through India as well. Um, we're working with the local governments there, working with a prominent blockchain um, as well for some of our African endeavors. Um, what else? LinkedIn Growth Coach. So I'm always actively helping people grow on LinkedIn. Uh, my 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 clients together have about five times as many followers as I do, um, or more, uh, which is cool because I have a lot of followers there as well. Um, I'm the host of the Corey Connects podcast. That's probably about it. <laughs> really, it's it, it's only about 19 things, man. It's all good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, So thanks so much, Corey, for introing yourself, man, because I got to tell you, when I looked at the list of things, I was like, oh, my God, this this guy has like a page and a half of stuff to read. Yep. I forgot one of the biggest ones. I'm the chief at Agora World, AgoraVR.World. We are a no code drag and drop metaverse creation platform that's freemium. 
We have an SDK, so anyone can embed our technology. We're partnering with some of the biggest metaverse companies in the world. Hmm. Uh, but people can go to Agora World right now, build their own metaverse experience for themselves for free, let people come in and experience this, this alternative world. I say the metaverse will help usher in the fourth dimension. Um, but so that's a company that I've been with for some time. Uh, I'm not a founder, but I'm on the co-founding team. I'm super bullish on because we're free, <laughs> right? I we're love that. Every barrier to entry, uh, and also most recently, I'm a ChatGPT early adopter and expert. Corporates bring me in to learn how to use ChatGPT. So I went. I was just being absent-minded. I wasn't being facetious when I said, "Is that it?" But no, I forgot all the good stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so I am going to ask you a little bit later, what the heck is the metaverse and what's chat GPT so that we can get that cleared out. But for now, man, um, when when you listen to you talk about it, obviously there's a bunch of stuff you're into. Um, and you started off and you, well, I remember you talking about marketing and that sort of thing. You started off there. What? How, how do you make that move? Like what says go from hey, I'm working at high-end restaurants, I'm, I'm doing good things here, I'm making money. What says go into LinkedIn, go into, uh, what was it, coding that you were doing? Like, what 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 happens? How do you make that, that transition? Well, so I'll give a little quick context. When I first got into restaurants, I was 15 years old and I was allowed to bus tables. As soon as I uh, became 16, I was able to both bartend and wait tables at the Kellogg Business School in Northwestern uh, at the Allen Center. Because back then, 16, you could work. And if you could work, you couldn't deal with alcohol and food so long as you didn't take money for it. And the students there were drinking for free. It was part of their, their huge ticket for going to the Kellogg Business School. So I, I cut my teeth earlier than almost anybody. Mm -hmm. But then I kind of went down a, a different path for a few years. And I found myself at 20 years old, homeless on the streets, living in a garage with no running water in, mm. in the mountains of Colorado. And I started washing dishes at a restaurant. So for me, restaurants really were transformative. And I spent nearly 20 years there. And so I didn't start off at the high end by any means. I worked from dishwasher to busboy to waiter. Um, I did get certified as a sommelier, which was helpful mm -hmm. in getting some of the better jobs. But by the time I was at the end of my career, I had been making six figures a year as a waiter for several years, many years. Um, I had regulars like uh, <laughs> Steve um, Steve Harvey and Michael Jordan and Vince Vaughn and all yeah. the sports teams in Chicago. They would have their whole team parties at the restaurant I opened, Mastro Steakhouse, yep. and I was always their server. Right, so all the Blackhawks, I knew them. All the Bears, I knew them. All the, uh, all the, you know, any team. Um, White Sox didn't come in so much, but the Cubbies came in, and I'm a North Sider. Um, but you know, I had when Kelsey Grammer and Ti came in, I was their waiter. When Keith wow. Richards from the Rolling Stones came in, I was their waiter. Wow. When Joe Biden, the former, the former vice president at the time, came in, I was his waiter. When Bill Clinton came in, I was his right. The list goes on and on. And, and I was making six figures. And I realized at a certain point, I didn't want to be a servant in the castle anymore. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, you know, these guys, they all treated me with respect. Vince Vaughn used to literally treat me like I was part of the family when I was there. Mm -hmm. However, I realized we're, 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 not, we're not equal, right? We're not all yeah. this human being. 
they're here because they're living their best life and i'm here because i'm hoping they leave me an extra couple hundred dollars on the table right i got so sick of being a servant in the castle and working until two in the morning and right all all of the things that go go along with that Mm -hmm. so i i spent a couple of years in kind of my mid-30s one wanting something more but i had no experience for anything right Mm -hmm. um i wasn't set up for success but i knew that i was so annoyed that every other day i didn't know if i was working or not because i was on call right in the restaurant industry every other shift is on call so you find out at noon that day if you're working that day you can't make plans you don't see your family for holidays you can't forecast your revenue it's really not good sorry i know this i think Hey, everyone on, on that's watching, I'm, I'm sorry, but you're going to see me turn upside down. I mean, this is going to help me be better in frame. Okay, perfect. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> but so, <laughs> I do everything from my mobile. You see my three computers here. I have my iPad, all that, but I try to do everything from my phone. So big up StreamYard for finally uh, being able uh, to be compatible with the iPhone. Right. I mean, <laughs> for a while. Um, but I really was sick of never knowing when I was working, and I was really sick of being a servant in the castle. And it finally clicked with me. This is about eight years ago. I said, the data exists a week in advance. They know if they need me. I had been a manager. I had been a corporate executive in the restaurant industry. I knew every element of a P&L, forecasting labor. Uh-huh. They know if they're going to need me. They know if the patio will be open on Thursday. Uh-huh. Right? They know if it's going to rain or not. They know if the, if the United Center has an event or not. They know if they need me. Why didn't our very expensive solution for scheduling, which is called Hot Schedules, why didn't it? Why didn't it help with that? And I looked around, and there was no alternative that that forecasted uh, labor to that degree where it could tell you if you would need people. So then I helped write some algorithms, and I put together a technology that helped people mm. work what they wanted with whom they wanted to be the most productive. And so we were kind of an early AI type of thing. We were oh, wow. not AI; we were machine learning. Um, we implemented some deep machine learning, which was kind of the stepping stone to AI. But you know that that was a hard. It was hard to uh, scale that company because I had no clue what I was doing. But what really helped us get anything from into big accelerators and you know some of the big biggest fast food companies in the country, at least if not the world, um, using this software was LinkedIn. So. I read The Lean Startup by Eric Reese to figure out mm-hmm. how to start the company. Then I realized I didn't know how to scale the company, so I was fortunate enough to read a book called Traction by Gabriel Weinberg. And it postulates that there are only 12 traction channels, period, for any business. And what's worked for your competitor in different seasons or years or markets will not work for you. Mm-hmm. So it says you have to test all 12 channels, and then you have to do tests on every facet component of those channels to find your ideal marketing channel. Turns mm-hmm. out mine was LinkedIn, and that served me really well. So once I took my exit from the company, it was just me and LinkedIn and about you know 100,000 followers or something like that. Oh, wow, yeah. But I really learned the algorithm, and I really learned how to do the anti-sell on LinkedIn to get all the right people reaching out to me to buy anything that I was selling. So um, hopefully that answered the question. Yeah, uh, man, okay. so. You mentioned that at one point you were living in a garage, you were homeless. Let me just say, man, I've I've actually been there, literally living in a garage uh, in my car. Um, how how did how did that come about? Like, where did where did that situation come from? 
Well, so I, I was raised in South Evanston, and my family loved me. Um, but when I dropped out of college, I got a job as a computer software tester at Rand McNally mm-hmm. back in 1997. I then became a metrologist for, for Cerno Pharmaceutical Research at the age of 19. And that was a very, very reputable position. It's metrology is the science of weights and measures. Mm-hmm. So I was effectively calibrating pipettes, digital balances, and things like that. And I'll, you know, I'll just say it. To be that young, making that much money in an office with those type of instruments, got me. And I grew up on hip hop, right? I was a rapper. I still am. Um, that got me feeling like I could probably, you know, make some extra money. And back then, there wasn't the digital nomad side hustle world that there is today, where I can make a pitch deck for you and you'll pay me a couple of thousand dollars. So I started, you know, I kind of got into selling some things that I probably shouldn't have been selling. <laughs> And that took me down a, <laughs> a little yeah. bit of a, you know, I, I was from South Evanston where gang culture was very big at the time. So I got caught up in some of the gang stuff going on. Um, and that ended me up on the West Coast. Um, you know, the, the, the people I was with in Chicago had people out there. And uh, so, you know, a couple, couple bad moves turned into a couple more bad moves. Yeah. I, I found yeah. myself without, you know, much. It spirals fast, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So we got, we got this guy who's at one point making good money young. You, you go through this trouble point, you have a kind of a, an enlightening sort of moment where it's like, Hey, I've gotten into, uh, well, first off, let me back up. Uh, I haven't ever been a bartender or a waiter. Dude, how the heck do you make six figures bartending and waiting? Like, what? How, how did that work out? Well, so I, I can do some simple math for you. Mastro Steakhouse, we have bottles of wine up to $6,500. Yep. Right? Your Petrus, your Margot. We had Tomahawk steaks were $155 for one person. Yep. And uh, so the seafood towers, right, typically averages about $65 a person. So I was in private dining. I opened up the restaurant in that department. So we would have okay. people come in and spend anywhere from fifty to hundred thousand dollars on their check. My built-in gratuity was eighteen percent. And oh. when I went above and beyond for people with money like that, what they would typically do is double the tip. So you know yeah. And even before that I was at Roost Chris for years. I had regulars that would come in and literally tip me extra thousand dollars every time they came in. Um, sometimes more than that. Uh, but I was really good at what I did, right? I was the waiter. And, and again, I haven't waited at the table in seven years. But I was the waiter where if you told me you wanted liver and onions and we didn't have them, I wouldn't even ask my manager. I'll run to the store. I'll be right back with some liver and tell the, the, the chef, I need you to cook this up with some onions, right? Yeah, if I yeah. found out it was your birthday and you didn't bring some flowers, I'll run and get flowers from the store on me give them to you to give to your girl, right? Hmm. And open table, you know, it would, I could go through and see the notes. So I would know I have two people celebrating birthdays tonight. I go get them little things and bring it in. And, you know, the, the, the mentality of someone to receive something from a waiter that's so above and beyond that they probably pay yeah. 15, $20 yeah. out of their pockets, the type of person that's not going to reflect that in the gratuity. Um, you know, thank God I was able to kind of, uh, yeah, yeah you know, avoid. <laughs> so, right, right. Um, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I came up a little bit short, but I loved what I did. And I think that showed, I spent the majority of my fine, fine dining, but career at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse where their, their founder, Ruth Fertel, her famous quote is 
do what you love and love what you do. And I do think that for many years, I loved what I did to the extent that I was the first person. I had Ken Griffey Jr. and Sr. I grew up loving baseball. I, I grew up loving the Griffeys. I served Ken Griffey Sr. his first alcoholic beverage. Oh, wow. Period. Because I was that charming and I got him to say, you know what? <laughs> I don't do this, but I'm going to do this. He was there with his son and, their man and his son's manager. Um, so I think I really love what I did. But the thing is, I love what I did until I didn't anymore. Yeah, and then yeah. I was so good at it on autopilot that I was still able to make the money. But I just hated it. I knew I hated it. So, so look, man, it sounds like there's a, uh, a thread starting to come up, a thread of... of this sort of inner person that 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 you are at this time. Now, this makes me think. I remember you told me a story about about when you uh, a time where you you finally started to see that correlation between what kind of person that you were and and then like kind of how it paid off. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, but there was a oh, that's, that's Troy and Clark and Lee. <laughs> I'll never yeah, forget. Yeah, yeah. Can, can you tell us about that? How that worked out? Well, I, I used to take the train in from the south side to work when I was at Roos Chris. And there was just a, a beautiful soul that was panhandling that kind of, quote unquote, lived at a certain intersection. Um, and I gave him some money one day. It was kind of more than I would have probably usually given somebody. And that's when I met my first big regulars that I had just alluded to that tipped me really big. I didn't think anything of it. And then I, I saw him a few days later and gave him some more money. Those people came back to see me a second time. I didn't think anything of it. But about 10 times in, I realized every time I saw Troy, right, and I'd get down on his cardboard with him, pray for him, with him, give him eye drops, I'd go to the store, get him things he needed. But I started to realize every time I saw him, I gave him money, is when I'd go in and make more money than most waiters. You know, it's most most people will never have a $1,000 tip, let alone an extra $1,000, yeah, yeah. yeah. right? It was every time I saw him, and now it was a weird, it was a weird um, kind of just understanding that every time I did this without expectation, then it would come back to me probably tenfold, maybe even numerically. Wow! And you know, I, I kind of just understood at that point, I can't ever do this with an expectation. If I give this man a hundred dollars and I expect to go in and make ten thousand, it's not going to happen, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? That's not what this is about. You don't do things to get something. Um, but as long as I'm doing this as I had been doing with an open heart, with love, um, then it's going to probably bear fruit. And I don't know that it ever didn't. As a matter of fact, I'll go into a quick story. He took the Southside train with me, same, same as me, one day after I hadn't seen him in a month or so. And uh, I, on the, that Southside train, it was the South Shore Metra, you could drink beer. And so I had some beer and I knew he was living on the street, but he came onto the train and he looked like he was in a real wild mood. It was a different look in his face than I'd ever seen. And I just opened a beer. So I didn't acknowledge, you know, I, I didn't I didn't let him know that I was there and he walked right past me because I didn't want to be a reason to put him into any kind of a, a funk. I do believe that was the last time I ever saw him. <laughs> that may or may not have been uh, the last time that the, the group of gentlemen that had come in and been tipping me oh, huge. Funny, yeah. These guys ended up taking me on private jets around the country. Oh, to, we, we stayed at Vegas at the Wynn. We used to go to see see the Bulls play at the United Center. They'd always get wow. a skybox. Like, I do think that when, he pa when I let him pass me on the train, it might have been the last time that I ever saw him and that that blessing ever, ever came my way. But it was just, you know, the correlation was too was too 
evident to, to yeah, buy it's that. Amazing. I think that's awesome, man. Now, here's the thing that I think is really interesting about what you mentioned, mentioned, though. Uh, You said that if you felt like the you felt like if the expectation was there that you were going to get something that it wouldn't have happened. What 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 brought about that idea? Because, you know, it sounds like a transactional thing at that point. Let me go invest my twenty dollars to Troy and get my whatever, whatever. Well, I hope I hope I didn't splice words. I meant that had I done it with an expectation, I don't think I would have gotten the results. Right, right. Well, I, I mean, but but what brought? Uh, why why wouldn't you? Once you noticed a correlation, what stopped you from ever thinking like, oh yeah, I can make this my business? There's some sort of correlation here. Maybe they knew the guy, whatever the case, and I can keep going with this. Like, why did why did it remain in your heart and your mind something that needed to be done out of love? And out of just, you know, a sincere desire to help. Well, I, I think on the one hand, uh, a quote that's been said many, many times over that I'm often found saying as well is that where attention goes, energy flows, right? Mm-hmm. But I take it beyond attention to intention. Uh-huh. And I really do look at energetic, uh, you know, frequencies, vibrations, the way that things really resonate. And to mm-hmm. me, expectation is everything. And so had I done that with greed in my heart, I could have given the guy a thousand dollars with greed in my heart. I probably would have had my tables walked out and say, yeah. you know, <laughs> this lobster's chewy, the steak's overcooked and not even tip me. Right. So to me, it was all about just honoring the, the, the cipher, right? Yeah, like yeah. really being in flow and doing things with love. Because to me, when you do things with intention, that's not reciprocity, right? That's yeah. That's yeah. give to get. Yeah, I that's transactional. That give, yeah, it is. And I believe if you give to give, right? End of story. Yeah. Wash your hands. That that sets into place something energetically, universally that is much more powerful. So, um, I never even questioned it. Right? Mm-hmm. I never. Mm-hmm. I never had the damn like. Let me see if I give this guy two hundred bucks and yeah. I get yeah. <laughs> two two great tables. No, I, I just. I don't know why I, I knew that, but it just, it, it rang yeah. true and it still does, you know, probably, it's probably been 15 years since then. Let, let me I ask you, man. Still alive. I hope he's doing great. Try, I hope you found your way like I did. Yeah, seriously, man. Um, yeah, I got to agree. I, it, uh, uh, I is one of the people who is very much aligned with that, uh, with the, uh, the sincere idea of giving for the sake of giving, you know, uh, and it's a beautiful thing. Now I have to dive in a little bit deeper here, Corey, where the heck does that come from, man? Because, you know, like I know the world we live in is very transactional. And in a lot of ways, it's probably going to be the case that in most cases, people are going to say, yeah, let me give so I can get where, where, how, 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 First off, let me ask, how has that shown up for you in the rest of your career since then? Like, how how, how have you backed that up? Because you still believe like that. Um, what it feels like is that there is a lot of reasons and a lot of people who would say, yeah, forget that, man. I need to give so I can get. How have you kept that that mindset? Let's start there. Well, I, I would imagine that the people that are feeling that way probably are seeing a lot more turmoil in their lives whether or not they have you know 
thank God right now I'm good. I have houses in two continents and right, it's um, money comes. But at the, at the same time, that's not what it's about for me either. Right. Mm-hmm. And I still do implement that to the extent with the first company I started, it was freemium until we raised too much money. And then they started charging and it broke my heart. That was my first foot out the door. Yeah. Yeah. I've even changed my entire business model with my coaching Right. As of the beginning of this year, I introduced a free tier to work with me and a mid tier to work with me. That's one eighth of the price of my coaching. Right. Right. Um, I just want to see the world be a better place. Mm-hmm. And at, at this point, I have helped my world at least. You know, and it's it is Earth and it is humanity. But yeah, it's yeah. My, my experience as a human, yeah. I've helped my world become so much better that I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the fruits of my labor, yeah. right? I'm reaping yeah. the, I'm reaping the fruits at this point. And so I look at people, you know, I've done deals with several of the sharks from shark tank right now. And, and I like some of them as human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them though are miserable. Yeah. Yeah. Their TV stars are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And I'm not talking about the one that's not worth hundreds of millions of dollars because <laughs> I have, <laughs> there's only one of those and I have a great deal of respect for Mr. Cuban. Uh, but, but that said, money doesn't bring happiness. Now, if you're yeah. happy, money can escalate happiness. Sure, sure. <laughs> right. Um, but, but I think the people that are doing things transactionally at best are net zero, right? Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. they're doing whatever they can to get whatever they can. And at the end of the day, hopefully that balances out for them. I wish everyone happiness and success. So the greedy people out there, I still hope that they have, you know, a life that sure. they're that they're happy with. I can't imagine that eternally their souls are going to look back and be happy about the way that they chose to live their life as a human being on earth this time around with that math, right? Or with that intention. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, I don't know if I'm an old soul. I don't know if I've been here before. I don't know if that exists. I don't I don't know if we're all just a product of a big bang or if we're all legitimately the 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 only next son and daughter of God, right? All I know is right. that we're all here right now in a moment. We were all created for some reason, right, by something. And when I look at that and I look at yeah. what perpetually yeah. happens from when, when I give without expectation, um, all I can say to anybody listening is I personally wouldn't have it any other way. And, mm-hmm. you know, to, to me, I think by most measures of success at this point, most people would look at my life and my, you know, anything they want and, and, and think that I'm successful. To me, hopefully that's because I literally wake up happy every morning and go to sleep yeah. happy every morning. And if I ever need a little pick me up, I can go to LinkedIn and say, good morning, everybody. If, you know, <laughs> If I've touched your life, let me know. I bet you a thousand people say, "Yeah, Corey." So, right, like thank that. God, I'm, I'm good. I don't, I don't need the little, the little soul, soul tap yet. Yeah. Um, but, but that's that's what I do. I just, I feel as though, if any of us can make our world a little better, the way to do that is for the world to be better, not for our own life to be better. Yeah. Especially when people indulge in so many things, right? It's like. You can go make a million dollars and waste a million dollars. Ask sure. both rappers and yep. football yep. players yep. and NBA, and um, that's not that didn't make the world any better. Yeah. Uh, so okay, that leads me into this second question. Um, there's a 
so so as a coach, and I know we talked about the fact that if you everybody's a coach now with with something or another. Uh, as as a coach, though, I, I run into people all the time who are very disconnected from uh, purpose and from connection with everybody else and with the world around them. Man, you didn't have a coach. You didn't have a uh, somebody in your corner in your ear saying, "Bro, they're they're people are together. People are one." Blah blah blah. Where did that come from, man? Like, how did how did that just spring up? Is this a hip hop thing, man? 